Hi everyone, Philip Sutka here. I have a small favor to ask. I recently updated the Dark River website and with it launched a new mailing list for the podcast. An email list is any author or podcaster's superpower. It's the most direct way that creators such as myself can connect with their audience. I have an exciting announcement coming soon and would like to share it with you first. And I'm going to need your help in launching this new development. So if you would be so kind... Go to darkriver.ca and access the hidden episode at the top of the homepage to sign up for the mailing list. Not only will you be the first to know about updates, but you'll also have access to a behind-the-scenes look at how I created each of the stories. If you try it for a bit and decide that it's not for you, you can easily unsubscribe at the bottom of any of the emails. Believe me, I will not take offense. I will just be so thankful that you were willing to give it a shot in the first place. So head over to darkriver.ca, access the hidden episode, and join the ghosts in uncovering the town's secrets before anyone else. And now, on with today's story. Thank you for joining me in this strange small town in northern Ontario. My name is Philip Psutka. If this is your first time visiting, I'll be your guide. If you're a familiar face, it's good to have you back. The town embraces newcomers and old friends alike. But be warned, it doesn't easily let you go. So dim the lamps, settle in. Welcome to Dark River. Let's take a walk, shall we? Let's walk down to the river. Look there, on the right. The mansions of Richmond's Line, where we met Beth and Edie a few weeks ago. Behind us? The buildings that make up Main Street of the town. You can make out the corner of the tent where the new bank has just opened up. Today, they took in deposits in excess of $200,000. Business is flourishing. To our left, see the road? That leads to the pulp and paper mill just north of the town. In addition to the lumber and mining camps, the mill has had a massive impact on the area. Industry is booming, the town is growing, the roads are spreading, and the number of people here is increasing. There is more human life concentrated in one area than these woods have ever seen. And not all of it is friendly. But let's walk past all that and continue straight down to the water's edge. All the trees that used to inhabit the banks to our right are gone, taken down for paper production. But to our left, ah... Now we can see a pristine view of how this land looked merely 20 years ago, or 200 years ago, for very little changed between then. Very much has changed since. Let's follow the river into the woods. Why not? This is a spooky tale, after all. Here the water flowing gently past us down towards Richmond's line. Dip your hand in. Warm. Even in the forest, that hot July sun manages to pierce through. 
Let's go deeper into the woods. There is something I'd like to show you. We'll move a little faster, for it's a good distance away. Here we go, flying through the trees, past the pulp and paper mill, past a moose and her calf. Don't worry, they take no notice of us. Continuing further upstream. The rush of the water is becoming louder and louder, for the river expands and swells the further north we go. In those few brief moments we traversed almost two kilometers and are nearly at the point where the river joins with Dark Trout Lake. Here we are. No need to catch your breath. You did not exhaust yourself. What do you see? Trees, yes, but these are different. We have moved past the black ash and ironwoods and are now standing in a grove of white pine. See how big they are, forty meters tall at least, each one nearly perfectly straight and piercing the foliage around them to get at the sun. But look now to the ground, for although there are a bunch still standing, numerous trees have been felled, some already cut into sections. Life has been taken here without permission. While the pine could be found growing everywhere throughout these forests just a short time ago, they are quickly disappearing. Industry prefers softwood trees to hardwoods for pulp and paper production. Rapid expansion fueled by demand from the south. It seems that paper is more precious than air. Listen. Footsteps. Can you hear? The men are approaching. One of them, you see, discovered this place just the other day, and now the whole mill knows about it. These trees have not much longer to stand. And what can we do about it? Anything? They have arrived. There must be at least fifteen men here now, with their butcher's tools. Thankfully, we will not have to endure the noise of the angry chainsaw, for men of this time had only axes and saws to bring down these mighty trees. But it will be a longer and more painful process. We are witnesses to the devastation, and, unlike men, we cannot turn our backs on it. Here they go. Some have already gotten to work on whole trees that have been felled, dividing them into ten-foot sections to be sent down the river. In larger stretches of the river, they would cut the logs into twenty feet to save on time and work, but such lengths would get stuck as the river narrows before reaching the mill, so these men must butcher the trees into smaller pieces. Extra work, but what do they care? This standing giant must be turned into pulp. People need to communicate across great distances, after all, via letters and books, and every person has the right to access such things, provided they can pay for them. It's a simple system, and it's fair. For humans, at least. You get, you give in return. Strange that we do not see that reciprocity here. The saws have begun their angry growl. Makes you cringe, doesn't it? Some of these men are experienced from having done this for many years, while others, the younger ones, have energy and will simply go at it with gusto to prove their worth. 
These men, though, are doing this not out of the desire to be rich themselves, but to support their families. They don't reap the financial rewards that the owners of the mills and mines do. Many of the prospectors that set up such systems were funded by rich investors from the South, who will take a cut of the profits and often provide legal aid as part of the bargain. None of the men before us are prospectors or investors. Those men get their hands dirty in a much different way. It takes two men to work the saw through the massive trunks. These trees have grown long and well and resist being taken apart. Can we blame them? See the other men on the far side of the grove swinging their axes into that pine with its rough, rippled bark. A pine cone drops behind them. You pick it up, examining it, but all of the men are too immersed in their work to notice it in the air behind them. They cannot see us, of course, but that does not mean that we are not there. Likewise, they cannot see the lives that they are taking, but those are there too, slowly fading away. The sound of the axe cuts through the forest. A death ritual has begun. The two men chopping at the pine stand one on either side of the tree, swinging their axes in succession, alternating blows. Like beavers, they take shifts. When they tire, two more step in to take their place. But unlike beavers, they fell at a far more alarming rate and the wood is not returned to the land. It is mutilated, transformed, and sent south to those who will never meet these trees as they stand now. Here it comes. No need to move, for it cannot hit us. Let it fall to us. Feel the needles and the branches travel through us for a split second. Feel the pain and the pull of gravity. Feel the natural forces take over this tree that minutes ago had the strength to resist them. Feel the sheer majesty shatter on the forest floor. Hear the men cheer. Hear the men cheer. Hear the men cheer. Now the other men descend on the pine limbing it with their axes and saws. Have we seen enough? No? You hesitate. A small smile flashes across your lips before your modesty regains control and it is gone. No need for modesty, for who can see us? We are accountable only to nature. You look towards the bank where the men are preparing to roll the ten-foot sections into the water, stopping just shy of the water's edge while they line more up. The men are talking. They talk of the heat, of the shade in the forest helping to make their work manageable. They talk of their home life, their families, of their wives, children, and new ones on the way. They talk of industry and how that is fueling the north. So much life, an infinite resource, so they say. They roll the logs into the water. You get closer. The river is wide here and deep. The murky depths seem almost inviting, like a passageway to another world, a mystery. 
These men have often sought the river's edge for a refreshing reprieve from the sun's heat and found themselves looking into its depths. Look, one is doing so now. Shall we look in too? A fish flashed by. Did you see it? There is a local that comes here on occasion to fish. It's his secret spot. Ah, you remember him. John. He will be saddened to see that the ever-growing arms of industry have enveloped this place. But he will still come back nonetheless. Even when the trees are gone, the water will remain. And he has seen things in the water. Frightening things. But this young man, peering into the water now, is not entranced by the depths but rather by his own features. He splashes water on his face and shakes his hair, spraying off a fountain of diamonds. Isn't he marvelous? He certainly thinks so. Let's hover above the water, for we are not confined to the banks as this young logger is. Look deep into its depths. See how the current flows past, an ever-changing painting, a fluid veil. Everything is always in motion. The river reminds us of that. But humans get caught up in the current. They jump in without first learning how to swim, thinking only of the rewards downstream. You come up next to him, taking in the scent of his sweat. You feel his vanity hover around him like a cloud as you and I both peer over his shoulder into the water. He scrambles back from the water's edge, catching himself before the scream slips out. What could he have seen? Perhaps a face. Or two. Here come the others down to the banks, rolling more logs one by one into the river, keeping them close to the shore until they are ready to execute their balancing act. Will the young logger say anything about what he just experienced? It seems not for he has composed himself and donned his confidence once again. This show of manliness is as important to these men as the work they do, and they will not sacrifice it for anything, even if it means putting their lives under the axe. <laughs> See? He won't make eye contact with the other men until the color has returned to his face. Here they go. The young logger has collected his long staff, He'll use this for balance, but also to help him guide the logs downstream and keep them from getting jammed in narrower sections of the river. You watch him intently as he nimbly ascends the buoyant logs, adjusting his footing continuously as some of the smaller ones roll under him. A few of the others are joining him as well, and he is eager to show off his skill. Arrogance drips off of him like poisoned rain. And with a cheer from the men, they are off down the river, for this is the cheapest way to get the wood to the mill for processing. Processing. Such an undignified and unnatural word. A fitting description of how these trees will end their lives. The logger balances and surfs, as if this were for pleasure rather than work. Some of the men leap lightly from log to log as a way of showing off, and he joins them. Oh, nearly fell, but he caught himself. 
If it hadn't have been for his long staff, he would have been in the water, a very dangerous place indeed in the crowded current. The flow of the river compresses the logs together, helping to keep the men atop them, but it also creates a death trap for any unfortunate souls that fall in. See his teeth flash in the splatters of sunlight as he cocks his head back and revels in his domination of the wilderness. They are moving fast now, and he is invincible. The sun retreats behind a cloud as if to look away. We've seen enough. Let us depart and leave the butchers to their work. But you do not listen to me. Instead, you get closer to him. He dances and taps his feet upon the logs, as if he were waltzing atop corpses. The rush of the river has increased, and the current is vicious and loud. His laughter rises above the roar. You get close. You look him in the face. He looks past you, through you. You turn and come behind him. You hover over his shoulder once again, looking down at his tap-tap-tapping feet. His rhythm picks up along with the rivers. The music of the water accompanies his death dance. The sun reemerges. The shadows of the trees along the river darken and stretch, as if to try and grasp their companions' remains and pull them back to shore. One shadow almost succeeds, for a few of the logs veer slightly off to the left. The young man sees this. His dance subsides, and a new one replaces it as he tries to keep his footing while stretching out his staff to guide the logs back together. He strains and manages to lean just far enough out so that he can still keep his balance. The staff connects with the wayward logs and coaxes them back in. His teeth appear through his smile again. The small opening of water next to him begins to shrink as the logs come back together. Master of the elements that he is, he cannot help but steal a brief glance at his own reflection in the water before the mirror closes. You lean over his shoulder and your eyes lock with his in the river. Thank you for listening thus far. In a moment, we'll peer back into the water. But first, I'd like to let you know that we have new original spooky stories coming every three weeks, so follow the show on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. Also... I am very excited to announce that Dark River has a brand new website. You can listen to all of the episodes, learn more about the show, explore the ever-growing resources I use for research, and connect with me directly on it. Check it all out at darkriver.ca. I'd also like to take a moment to say a big thank you to the Region of Waterloo Arts Fund, for supporting this episode and the show in general. Their generous funding truly keeps the arts alive in this region, especially when it's most needed, as it is throughout the past year and a half in this time of isolation. We all need hope, and stories are one of the most powerful ways we can come together. But now, 
let's look into the water once again. You lean over his shoulder, and your eyes lock with his in the river. He starts violently, a whooping hiccup of shock emerging from deep within him. His arms and legs flail wildly. The trees below him roll. The staff connects with a log, and he nearly regains his balance. The staff slips. He releases it instinctively to free up his hand as he falls, trying to grab at the nearest log. But the staff has pushed it farther away, and in he goes, plunging into the depths. You sway to the left, gently corralling the logs back together once more to close the mirror. You begin to hum, singing with the music of the river, and begin your own dance in the sun. Your faint shadow falls across the logs and the riverbank, and the men behind you perk up their ears and look wildly around. Did they hear you? Do they see you? You sit atop the dead tree that the young man lived on moments before. You sit with the pieces of the forest as they reach their final destination, staying with them, comforting them, telling them that it will be all right and they will return to their home soon. As the river approaches the mill, you gently disperse the logs leaving the spooked men behind you to frantically try and pull them all back together. You guide the tree you are on through the labyrinth of open waterways, taking it out and ahead of the others. You watch the mill pass on the shore, and you continue on, floating with your new companion. Somewhere downstream, there is a new home for both of you. Perhaps you will produce a new grove together. And it shall remain protected, for you shall remain to protect it. This has been a tale from Dark River, written and hosted by me, Philip Sitka. I also produce the show, as well as compose the music for it. The podcast artwork was done by Crisp Sutka. For more history of small-town life in northern Ontario in the early 20th century, be sure to follow our Instagram at Dark River Podcast. Though based on actual history, this story is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to persons living, dead, or other is entirely coincidental and unintentional. Thank you for stopping by, and see you soon.